Sooner Nation, Longhorn fans, welcome to episode 75 of the Boomer Bevo podcast. The only podcast exclusively dedicated to covering the greatest rivalry in college football, University of Oklahoma, the University of Texas. I'm here with my man, Kevin Miller. I am John Whitson. This is Red River Shootout Week Part 2. Kevin, this is going to be a dense episode. Warning to the listeners, this is not going to be one that builds on emotion or psychology or trauma or death as discussed yesterday, which I know it helped a lot of people understand their feelings. And I appreciate that feedback I received from many people. This is going to get into the weeds, the nuts, the bolts. You and I are going to show off our prowess of analysis as we break down the positional battles that are going to lead to the outcome of the most hyped OU Texas game since 2008. Are you ready for this? Of course, man. We're one day closer to this game happening. I can't wait. The anxiety is already starting to build, man. So let's talk about it. Let's break it all down. Let's see what happens on Saturday. Okay, before we get too far down, one note of something that we've been following all week is the betting line has jumped up another half point. Texas is now on DraftKings. That's what the Boomer Bebo podcast goes with is DraftKings. On Saturday, it was five. I'm sorry, Sunday, it was a five-point line. Monday, it was a 5.5 line. Today, or no, it was a six-point line. Today, it's a 6.5 favorite to Texas. Okay. Texas is giving six and a half points. Thoughts. Now, again, this has to be just because of the money, right? I heard that 90% of the money is going towards Texas when it comes That's to correct. Green. So that That's has to correct. be the reason, right? I think we, that you and you thought yesterday and yesterday's episode that that could be a possible reason as to why. And I think it all but confirms that. Because I haven't heard any kind uh, of team intel or injury thing that would cause that line to shift further towards Texas. I yes, I said it yesterday and I think I'm going to echo it again today. It's I think it's as simple as you beat Bama, you beat Oklahoma 49 to nothing last year. Like those yeah. two things are enough for people to want to unload on this line. Even though the the game is radically different, right? This is not right. the same OU Texas teams, not not just a year older, but just a complete personnel shift uh, older or, or newer. Um, especially on the Oklahoma side, but even on the Texas side, you've got you've added guys like Anthony Hill Jr., AD Mitchell, uh, Jonathan Brooks is your running back. You lose Bijan, and we're going to talk about all of these guys. We're going to talk about all these guys, but it's different. It's a different set of circumstances. However, it's not unreasonable to think that's why you place a bet because those two factors are pretty real. Yeah, correct, correct, right? And again, got to handle business on the field. But this is just part of the process leading up to it. So, and it's okay. you know motivational for the team that is the underdog. Oh, dude, listen, Oklahoma thrives in the underdog role. We thrive. I mean, Baker May- Baker Mayfield uh, created the us against the world, uh, you know, blueprint for how you uh, how you put a chip on your shoulder, you get angry about it, and then you react in a positive way towards you know overcoming it and. I loved it. I loved what he did. 
We're seeing it now with Dion, right? Dion creates the underdog role for his team, even against a team like Colorado State that they should have beat the tar out of. Uh, so it's, you know, it's nothing new, but I do think Oklahoma thrives in it. I spent, and I think Texas should embrace being big, bad Texas, like you're doing this year. I like what Sark has created for you guys in terms of a mentality, because you are big, bad Texas. You're ginormous. You're probably the biggest, te- the biggest football brand in college football as, t- as far as brand goes. So I think you have to embrace yeah, everybody that. Everybody hates Texas, right? Yeah, you gotta understand, right? Everybody hates Texas, right? If you're not a fan, people yes. who have nothing to do with Texas hate Texas. And yes, yes, I hate Texas. embrace that. You need villains. Them. You're an OU fan, but even just fans of random programs, dude, who we don't even play, right? And just embrace it. Every story has to have a villain. If everybody was just good, it just wouldn't work. I think in the SEC, Texas is going to be more hated than Oklahoma. Yes. Completely agree. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I agree with you. I agree with you. I think, you know, now Oklahoma starts winning some games or making any moves. I think obviously that can impact it. But early on, I think fan bases will love to host Texas in terms of just wanting to give y'all so much crap. Because you do make it really easy. You know, y'all do make it really easy. You'll agree with that. In some ways, yes. Yes. Okay. All right. But I love it. Though. All right. It's fine. You can feel free to hate us. Let's go with the every. We hate. We we hate you, and I feel free to do it. And I thank you for that freedom that you've allowed me to do. Uh, all right. Let's get in to the weeds of this matchup. Let's start with the clear place to start at quarterback. The matchup is going to be Dylan Gabriel versus Quinn Ewers. Okay, I've talked a lot about Dylan Gabriel being maligned as a passer by a large segment of the Oklahoma fan base. Again, it goes back. We've talked about it It goes back to being spoiled, whatever. The newest thing is he can't throw a deep ball. He doesn't have arm strength. Okay, as I looked at the numbers for this. okay, I want to compare numbers. I want this to be a very data driven discussion. Okay, Kevin. Dylan Gabriel compared to Quinn Ewers. Let's just start with completion percentage. Again, not necessarily a stat that speaks to arm strength, but speaks to decision-making and um, accuracy. accuracy. Now, are we talking this season only, right? This season only. I'm going with this season. 75.2% completion percentage for Dylan Gabriel versus 66% for Quinn. And I'm going to make the argument – and you can, I'd like you to agree or disagree. Gabriel's taking shots down the field, especially in the last two weeks. He didn't so much against SMU, but he did against Tulsa. Or I'm sorry, he did against Cincinnati. Well, he did against Tulsa too. And he did against um, uh, Iowa State. Yeah. So those aren't just, he's not just check down Charlie with that 75% completion percentage. Would you agree yeah, or disagree? Hitting, no, no, I do agree. I do agree. He's hitting the intermediate stuff and deep down the field. He does throw an accurate deep ball. Quinn, 271 yards passing per game. Dylan Gabriel, 318 yards passing per game. Does that surprise you when you hear that statistic? Not really. Not really because I know Texas loves to run the ball, and I think they've been so effective at running the ball. 
uh, especially against Kansas, right? I mean, obviously they're balanced. They had 300 yards rushing and passing. But I think with their rushing statistics this season, it's taken the ball out of Quinn's hands a lot. And Sark likes that balance. And I think Texas has been more effective at running the football than Oklahoma has. So kind of, you know, the offense has dictated that. We are going to get to that, but just to just to put a to put a interesting note out there, um, you have 192 rushing attempts. Oklahoma has 199 rushing attempts, so Oklahoma yeah. actually has more rushing attempts. Now that could be a that could be a number of plays situation too, where Oklahoma is getting more plays off because we have a little faster tempo offense. Uh, but when we get to the running backs, we'll also see that you're at 959 yards on the year. Oklahoma's only at 788. So you're by far way more effective running the ball. Um, but I just find that I find that interesting. Touchdowns to interceptions. Dylan Gabriel, 15 to two interceptions. Quinn Ewers, 10 touchdowns to one interception. Both quarterbacks clearly taking very good care of the ball, making really, really good decisions. Dylan Gabriel, though, we've talked about it all year with the talent you have at wide receiver. Are you surprised Dylan Gabriel has five more throwing touchdowns? Not necessarily. Again, I think they like it to me, it just goes back to how well they've been running the ball. Now, if they were ineffective running the football and he's he still had those numbers, I would be concerned. But no, the way that they're running the ball, I'm not I'm not concerned about it at all. I, I trust in him to step up when his name is called. Okay, that's fine. I'm all right with that. Now here's the surprising stat though when we get to the to the um not so much for Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel, 29 carries, 95 yards, and four touchdowns on the year. So he's, you know, we've talked about this. He's not Michael Vick or anything like that, but he's the, the run game has become a bigger part of the offense since conference play started. Yeah. However, Taylor told us that would be, right? Oh, yeah, he called yeah, it. 100%. He he called it. But how about Quinn Ewers? 25 carries, 74 yards, and ready for this? Five rushing touchdowns? What's come up? I, I did not expect to get that stat to be as comparable to what Dylan Gabriel's done so far this year. Yeah, n- neither did we, right? But it's kind of a new Quinn, right? He lost weight. I think he's 15 pounds lighter than he was last year. So I think he's discovered that he's got some decent athleticism to him. He's on pace to rush for more touchdowns than Vince Young did in 2005. We've been calling him Quincy Young, basically. And he's running the ball <laughs> like that. Yeah, Quincy Young. Watch out. Oh. Might be a factor well, Saturday. And then, and Both quarterbacks. Against Kansas, a 33-yard run? Is that right? Correct. Yep, right up the middle. Now, are these, um, for Oklahoma fan, are these designed runs? Are these scrambles? How are the, What do these runs look like? What should Oklahoma yeah, with- D be looking at in, in terms of pre- preparation? No, they're not designed runs. With Sark's offense, he does not design, typically design running plays for the quarterback. That's just not what his system is. But what he said in his press conference is that if it's there, you know, if the defense is playing man and everybody has their backs turned and you see a wide lane, he expects the quarterback to take advantage of that. And that's what we've been seeing from okay. Quinn. Just more pocket awareness in general, where beforehand he might wait and wait and wait and wait and end up getting sacked when there's space for him to run and get the first down. Also, what we've seen over the last few weeks, before in the first few games, he's running to get the first down. Now, I think he's getting the confidence with his legs, and he's trying to get to the end zone, and it's been effective. So 
man, anything we can do to get points on the board, I'll take it. Well, and I think it gives, I mean, you know, one of the biggest criticisms that you've had against Quinn Ewers is throwing off schedule or in a uh, off balance, right? Or, you know, not yeah, in. Mechanics. Poor mechanics. Yeah, mechanics have been good. So it makes sense that instead of forcing a bad throw or forcing a, a throw where you're not able to step into it or a collapsing pocket to take advantage of that athleticism and run the ball, it only makes sense. And I think you've seen um, a more relaxed yours over the last couple of weeks because it's not that pressure to make that throw in as much as is just make the play, however that play develops. Absolutely. Yes. Getting seven yards on a run, that's a great play. And the thing about it is, too, the way defenses have to account for all the weapons that we have. When you got Xavier Worthy, Jatavian Sanders, Adonai Mitchell, Jordan Whittington, all out in pass routes, right? You, it, it takes the coverage away, right? And you don't leave a spy on a quarterback like Quinn, right? So it's just there. If the team is playing, man, the space is there. It's got to take advantage of it. Okay, so th- those are the stats for the quarterbacks. I think it's it's interesting that would this is just my looking statistically the edge goes to Gabriel statistically. I don't think I'm talking out of line. I'm not trying. I'm not well, trying I mean, to make numbers, you know, numbers and numbers. Th- yeah, this episode is really going to be data driven. So while I'm used to being bombastic, I want to just say in this case, I think I think I'd put the check mark in the quarterback. However, we have to have somebody to throw to and somebody is guarding those people that we're throwing to, right? So the next natural extension is to talk about the receivers for Oklahoma versus the secondary for Texas. So you talked about uh, in the last episode a weakness at safety. You're concerned at, at safety. You think that that could be an opportunity for Oklahoma to exploit. However, the statistics say that you have the best pass defense in the Big 12. You're holding teams to a 53.5% completion percentage, 196.2 yards per game passing, only four touchdowns. You have six interceptions. And as part of the passing game, your defense as a whole has created 13 sacks. That sounds like a really stout pass defense. What am yeah. I not hearing in that in those numbers? No, everything you said is right, right? But if you want to talk about a potential weakness, right, the big plays that we've allowed this season have been allowed by offensive coordinators, opposing offensive coordinators scheming to get really fast guys on our safeties. And most safeties and coverage aren't going to be able to turn and run with a really fast wide receiver. So if there's a weakness there, I love our defense. I think our defense has been great all year. But if there's a potential thing for a team to exploit, that would be the place to start in the passing game. Okay, so going up against that, we just read the stats for that secondary. They're going to be going up against a wide receiver core that is average. Now, these averages are total receiving yards for super, super geeks out there. I just want to be clear. These are total receiving yards, not just wide receivers. But for in Oklahoma's case, it's mostly wide receiving you know, yards. 352 yards a game, um, 131 receptions for 13 and a half, 17 touchdowns. So again, we're going up against the secondary that's only allowed four touchdowns. Oklahoma's had 17. Uh, Andrew Anthony, clear number one. We've talked about this. 387 yards, a touchdown, 
Farouk, 285, two touchdowns. Here's the X factor in this game, and I've alluded to it earlier. It's Nick Anderson. I did not talk about him in the preseason. I know there was hype around Nick Anderson. I almost didn't want to jinx it, but I think we can say now he is a big-time playmaker. He only has 279 rushing yards, but five touchdowns. The guy is Mr. Touchdown. And then, in terms of a possession receiver, you got Drake Stoops, not huge on the yardage, but huge on possessions, tough catches over the middle, competitive catches, move the chain type guy, and has four touchdowns on the year. Kevin, we did not know where the production was going to come from in Oklahoma at wide receiver. But now, when I talk to you about those four guys, you've got to be thinking to yourself, possibly this is the best test of wide receivers you've gone up against this year. Yeah, no, I, I would absolutely agree. And like you said, before the season, even going back to the end of last season, we were like, who's going to be productive at the receiver position for OU with the guys we lost, losing a guy like Marvin Mims. But um, Jalil Farouk has been solid. Andrew Anthony has been, I think, better than anybody, than at least than I expected him to be, right? He's shown to be sure. a consistent playmaker yep. um, down the field. His hands have been better. That's what we heard was his weakness at Michigan, right? Like He had inconsistent hands. His, his hands seemed to be working out very well for you guys. And with his speed, it just yeah, really pretty- fits into the scheme that you guys run. No, go ahead. What were you saying? No, I'm just saying they've been pretty – his hands have been pretty consistent. They've been the best part of him. He's made very competitive catches, very competitive catches. Absolutely. Yeah, so, I mean, the position that just, to me, uh, overperformed the expectations that I had. And, yeah, the emergence of uh, Nick Anderson, it really gives defensive coordinators something else to account for because he's a big target with legitimate speed. And like you said, he's just been a big-time playmaker for you guys. So it's just something that the Texas defense is really going to have to account for. So what's missing in this in this receiving team, this receiving core for Oklahoma is just a complete lack of any play at the tight end. Um, Stogner might be averaging a completion a game, maybe. Blake Smith has a touchdown on the year. But really, it's non-existent, especially for what Oklahoma is used to in terms of uh, tight end production. So when we get to Texas, we're going to be talking a lot about your tight end. But when you look at those five receivers, give me give me the – I'm going to let you pick this one. I'll, I'll pick the next one, so you'll pick this matchup. Who do you like better? Oklahoma wide receivers, Texas secondary. It doesn't mean one's definitely going to do it, but just which – who do you feel like has the edge in this particular matchup? You know, I think I'll take the Texas secondary in this one. Wow. Surprise, everybody. Yeah. Surprise. Mm-hmm. These, those colors mm-hmm. don't run, do they, Kevin? Those colors Never. don't run. You know you know what it is, man. Um, I, Listen, we and don't and know. Again, listen, I, right? I said because earlier, I just said it. The, the OU receivers have been better than I expected them to be. I think they've been better than you expected them to be. Right? Oh, absolutely. I, well, I thought I thought for sure this – I thought for sure the strength of our offense was going to be in the running game. I, I 1,000%. I, I never expected to have this level of production for wide receivers. Uh, it's awesome. And to have guys that we can count on uh, to make big plays and not have the drops that we had last year and some of the boneheaded plays we had last year. I haven't even talked about Jaden Gibson, you know, that guy, or Jaquiz Petaway, who hasn't got a lot of run. Brendan Thompson we saw last week with a couple big catches. So there, there's, there, there's even upside outside of these four guys. However. 
This is the best secondary we're going to face, hands down. Uh, clearly, they're the number one secondary in the Big 12. I don't know where they rank nationally. Number one secondary in the Big 12. Y'all are really, really, really good. And so it's going to be a fascinating matchup to see who's really, really, really good is better. And, I, you know, I kind of put you on the spot. You have to pick your secondary because I'm going to pick the receivers. But at the same time, th- this matchup, this isn't like a lot-sided matchup where you're like, no, no. OU is going to roll or Texas is going to just yeah. completely shut down. And, like, listen, it's, and that's the beauty of your scheme. That's the beauty of your scheme, right? You get like, It just takes advantage of speed. You got to spread out sideline to sideline, trying to create one-on-one matchups. And the slot fade is really the stable play of the R Browse offense. And you you put Andrew Anthony there, you could put Brennan Thompson there, and you can put Nick Anderson there, even though he's a 6'3 receiver. And match him up against the safety. And it's like I said, it's concerning. That's my biggest concern from your offense is go routes and deep post routes against isolating the safeties one-on-one. We saw Jaron Thompson give up the big play against Alabama. And we saw Keaton Proper give up the big play against Kansas. Now, again, that was the only play that they got, really, in the passing game, the entire game. But it's just something to look out for. Oh, yeah. We'll have to okay. be on high so now let's, transi- let's transition to the uh, reciprocal side of the ball. So now let's take a look at Texas wide receivers. Texas wide receivers who the name power alone is – if you if you look if you if I read you the names Xavier Worthy, Ad Mitchell, Jatavion Saunders, I'm including him in this, and uh, Jordan Whittington, that sounds like the best receiving core in the country. It sounds like the it's best really receiving core in the country. Man. Just, I mean, the the only you know rival I think they have is the guys out of Washington. They 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 got a really good receiving core. But yeah, I mean, I oh, love okay. these guys, man. And and I hear you. And I'm not again not knocking you, but Take take a look at this. You've got you're averaging 286.6 yards per game passing versus an Oklahoma that's right averaging 352. You're averaging, or you're not averaging, but you've got 10 passing touchdowns and only 101 receptions versus 131 receptions and 17 touchdowns. So all, almost like what we looked at with the Quiers and the Dylan Gabriel, if we just looked at receiver versus receiver and you and you took the names away. You know, if you took the names away yeah. and you just looked at the stats, you'd have to pick Oklahoma as having the advantage on the receivers end. But we know that with the not just with the eye test, but what we've seen in the past from a performance standpoint last year, what we've seen running directly at me in the Cotton Bowl on the very first play in 2021 is you've got uber talented receivers. How do you explain though the difference in production to this point in the year? Really, it just goes back to how well we're running the football, right? We've seen these guys when called upon, right, against – we saw what A.D. Mitchell did in Tuscaloosa. We saw what Xavier Worthy did in Tuscaloosa and what Jatavian Sanders did in Tuscaloosa. And the reason why, that was the game plan, right? Alabama is really tough to run against, right? I don't care how good you think they are or are not. They make it really difficult to run the football against them, and they made it difficult for us, but – that was the matchup, is beating them in a the passing game. So that's what we had to do to win the game. I think with Sark, honestly, sure. you know, he's known for his his passing concepts, right, and, and taking those deep shots. But at the end of the day, he likes to run the football. When those guys are called upon, I would trust them more than 
almost any receiving core in the entire country. So, and I think what's interesting, I didn't go this deep in the analysis, but you bring up a really good point because I know what I saw at Alabama and I know the shots that you're referring to. They were big shots, big plays, uh, speed catches, the, the whole, the, you know, speed over the top, the whole, you know, take the top off the defense, all the analogies that are used to describe it. That's what your offense looked like against Alabama. It would be interesting to see how these stats um, compared to just the Alabama game. Because yeah. what it'd be fascinating to know is how come you could throw the ball so well against Alabama, but not against Rice, Wyoming, and even uh, for periods of time against Kansas in the first half, right? That's just, that is well, that's weird, no, right? The, the Kansas one, we we had, a, you know, 160 yards passing in the first half. We okay, just couldn't okay. get into the end zone. And again, okay. Quinn had 300 and something yards passing. We had 300 yards rushing. We lit up Kansas. We just didn't score for some reason when we got to the red zone. We just screwed it up down there. But if you look at the Kansas game, the game plan was different. It wasn't the over the top because Kansas actually had a really good secondary. I think, you know, their corner, Kobe Bryant, I'm a big fan of it. I think this guy's the NFL corner. He's really good. So, but we, we killed them in the middle of the field in the intermediate Got, uh, routes. We had guys going across the middle of the field open all day long. Quinn was hitting him in stride. That's how we won the game against Kansas. So what I like about our guys is they can beat you deep, right? But they can also beat you running routes across the middle of the field, those deep crossing routes. Sark loves those too. And Quinn, that's really where he's at his best at. He's at his best when he's working the middle of the field. He can hit the deep shots at time. That's where he's been the most inconsistent. But the middle of the field, Quinn is deadly. So I tell you what makes me nervous when I look at this uh, receiving core is Jordan Whittington has essentially taken what I would say is a backseat to Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, and Jatavion Saunders. His numbers are um, – he is definitely the fourth uh, out of four. Correct. But he I feel like – He's got 12 receptions, 142 yards, and no touchdowns. No touchdowns. Yeah. But I – feel like the talent level is there for to force an Oklahoma to deal with the other three. He could, he could have a big day. Like that's what he actually makes me more because we know what we're going to get from Xavier worthy. And so we know what we have to roll coverage to. We've seen AD Mitchell take the top off the defense. We know what we're going to have to roll coverage to. We know that we're going to need to have a linebacker and Desan McCullough. I mean, well, maybe just Desan McCullough himself, but we know that we're going to have, probably have to have a linebacker and Desan McCullough on Jatavian Saunders in the passing game, right? That's going to leave some one-on-one matchups for Whittington, and that is a, that's the one I, I worry that y'all exploit in a, in a kind of a, um, a counterintuitive way, if that makes sense. Like, he's not no, numbers, no, but for me, that almost correct. makes me nervous. Yeah, he got the experience, right? And we've seen him make plays against OU in the past, right? So the, the environment won't be too much for him. He's got the experience. He's a great route runner. He's a really good blocker. So, yeah, there's only so many ways you can roll coverage, right? You can really only roll coverage to one player. So, for me, it's almost like a pick-your-poison situation when it comes to covering these guys. And so, to me, like the secondary, I know you guys have really good players in the secondary. It's just so hard to account for so many really good players at receiver. Okay, so – all right, let's talk about that secondary. It, it, it feels so good to hear you say we have a good secondary 
because nobody has said Oklahoma has had a good secondary um, in the last 15 years, it feels like. Has been Definitely in the last 10. If, I mean, I guess that takes us to 08, so maybe not that long, but definitely less 10 years. Last 10 years, we haven't had a good secondary. We've had some some players that have been good. Trey Norwood showed some, some stuff. Uh, Trey Brown showed some stuff. Uh, we had Pat Fields that people liked. But listen, dude, Pat Fields isn't starting on this secondary. Pat Fields isn't seeing the field with Bowman yeah. and Bowen and Pearson and, and – um, Oh, golly, who am I even missing out there? Key Lawrence. Like, he's not seeing the field against these guys. Um, and so so we have elevated our secondary personnel to a point where we're really, really competitive. Comparable to your secondary stats, a little yours are a little better. 54.5% completion percentage allowed, 212 yards passing allowed, five touchdowns. However, big statistical number here, 10 interceptions. And in the passing game, we've created eight sacks. So y'all have the check mark and touchdowns allowed, yards allowed, and sacks created where we have the pretty healthy um, lead on interceptions. My point is, you talk about rolling coverage. Let me ask you this. Woody Washington gets talked about almost zero because he's so good and nobody throws the ball his direction. So is you you know a little bit more about this than I do. Is he good enough in your mind? If you put your Oklahoma defensive coordinator hat on, is he good enough on your mind to line up against whoever's on his side and roll coverage to whoever's on the other side? Is Woody Washington able to lock down either Worthy or Mitchell? I mean, I think he can cover those guys, but it's just hard to cover them for a whole game without them getting loose, man. I mean, Xavier Worthy has it all. He's got blazing speed, and he's a good route runner. He's one of those guys where he can he can really sell his routes. So he can run full speed like he's running a go route, which means a corner will really turn his hips and start to sprint, and then he just stops, and it's a deep curl route, and he'll get open that way. That's how I think they can be effective against a guy like Woody Washington, where he might not be able to just run right by him on a go route. But he's such a good route runner. I think he can make some plays against any DB, including Woody Washington, even though I respect Woody Washington. I think he's a really good player. Well, I guess – okay, so then my next question is to you, um, is, is he the guy you line up against Woody, or or do you do with A.D. Mitchell and try to take him over the top and out of the out of the route tree and, you know, and, and honestly, maybe try to expose the other receivers? I don't, I don't know. Or the other secondary – members yeah i don't know what are your thoughts you know, I'll, like, I'll, how, I'll do you attack, how, how do you attack this secondary yeah how do you attack the secondary well again you try to find out who is weakest in coverage right and who do you think that would be like you know reggie pearson's out there right we all know how physical he is but can he cover an xavier worthy down running down the scene right or can he cover jt sanders running down the scene that's always the biggest matchup is the safeties because more nine times out of ten, the safety is not going to be able to turn and run with the receiver like a corner can, even the even the good ones. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Gentry Williams. I don't think I I know Gentry Williams has locked down that other corner spot. He's a little banged up, but I think he's fine. I think he's fine. I'm I think sure you've got Woody and Gentry. Game, right? like, if you can if you can walk, he's going to be out there. 
you've got Woody and Gentry at each corner, and then you've got some combination, okay, of I think Billy Bowman, we know for sure, some combination of Billy Bowman, Reggie Pearson, Peyton Bowen, Key Lawrence, Desan McCullough. I mean, those are the five guys. And 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 other dudes are getting some playing time. I don't know how much they're going to get against Texas. I don't know if this is the game where um, the uh, the number of participants gets smaller because we're trying to concentrate talent. Um, but those are your five guys. And I got to tell you, this is the this might be the best receiving group that y'all have had in I don't know. A really, really, really long time. Oh yeah, this is also I, the I best. I can't even tell you when. This is the best secondary Oklahoma has had in a very, very, very long time. I am fascinated by this. Um, I, I can't wait to see if the concepts that Venables creates uh, to attack your offense, if our guys have absorbed that enough yet to to because we saw the busts against. Um, Iowa State, those were concerning. If we see busts like that, I don't know that we can recover from I We're going to have misplays, but receivers running free, that's the nightmare scenario for Oklahoma on Saturday. Absolutely, yeah. And it's the same for Texas. We talked about this with Texas earlier, right? Just, what you don't want to see is wide receivers streaking by safeties wide open. Just can't have that. And for OU, yeah, it's, it's curious, right? Because have you guys trailed at any point this season? Have you been down more than a score, than a field goal or something? I'm trying to think. Not more than a field goal. I think we were down a field goal at Cincinnati. Okay, early in the game. Maybe. Like a 3-0 yeah. or something like that. Yeah, I mean, so yeah. I, yeah, I, something like that. Curious to see how it would be if you guys got if you got down two scores, you know, how you would respond from a mental standpoint. It's tough, right? It's one of those things when you start off the season like that. And you just haven't been super challenged. I'm fascinated to see how you guys will respond to that if that ends up happening on Saturday. All right. The other facet of the offensive game plan and then the defensive game plan to match it is in the running backs and uh, the rushing game. Uh, The way I've broken this down for uh, listeners, watchers on YouTube is we're going to take a look at the running backs. And it just made the most sense in order to discuss the players to have the running backs paired up against the linebackers, right? That's kind of a natural fit. They're they're going to be doing the the run fits. Um, they're going to be the ones shooting the gap to try to take take out the running backs. So that's how we're going to discuss it. It's obviously not a like for like necessarily, but I think it gives a good way to kind of compare. Taking a look at Texas's running game. Kevin has been big on Texas's running game. 192 attempts, 959 total yards on the year. Five yards per carry. Jonathan Brooks, by far your workhorse, 86 carries, 597 yards, 6.9 yards per carry, which is healthy, healthy, and five touchdowns. Clearly the best running back in this game, Jonathan Brooks. And it's it's really not even close. Uh, C.J. Baxter is your next guy up. Uh, coming off a little bit of an injury, we think he's feeling better. 37 carries, 157 yards, 4.2 yards a carry, and one touchdown. The linebackers that will have to stop Jonathan Brooks, Danny Stutzman, 
49 tackles, an interception and return for a touchdown, a fumble recovery. The other starter, Jaron Canick, 22 tackles, getting a lot of support from Kobe McKenzie, Kip Lewis. They've allowed 531 total rushing yards as a defense and 106.2 yards a game. So, Kevin, when you look at that matchup, I know you love Jonathan Brooks. But does it concern you at all that you're going up against the best linebacker play Oklahoma has seen since Kenneth Murray and maybe before that? Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a great matchup. You know, I've been a fan of Danny Stephens since 2021. He was a true freshman out there. I mean, they trusted him enough to be out there in crunch time in 2021 in that game during the historic comeback that you guys had against us. So I've been a fan of him for three years now. And you've finally seen it all come together. He's confident now in Venerable's scheme, right? He seems to be doing everything well. He's always around the ball. And I think what he's really gotten good at this year is dropping back into coverage, right? We saw him have a pick six. He's covering those kind of underneath routes. So first of all, in when it comes to Quinn throwing the football, you know, when he because Quinn loves the intermediate game, working the middle of the field, he's gonna have to account for Stutzman dropping back in some in some of those passing lanes. But again, you know, he's confident. Venable is very aggressive with his scheme. So he's, he's shooting those gaps really quick and being able to make tackles for losses this year to make a big plays. I'm curious to see, though, he's so aggressive. I wonder if, if Sark's going to scheme something up to try to take advantage of his aggression or maybe some misdirection runs that attack him because he's so aggressive. He gets to the ball so quickly. I'm just curious if that's something that's going to be in, in, in the, the game plan for Sark. When um, I know we're, we're we're talking linebackers here, so when you talk about that, and we're talking about Jonathan Brooks, what does your screen game look like? Is that something where if he gets if Venables gets too aggressive with Stutzman and Canick, and we're coming on a blitz, we send an extra rusher. What does your screen game look like, and how is Jonathan Brooks in the screen game, or maybe even CJ Baxter? Have they been a threat in in that sort of yeah? Brooks you know, let really the defense has. come in. They run that play. I think you talked about it. You and I talked about it where they kind of run the offense. Everybody kind of sprints to the right, and then he turns and throws it back to Brooks on a screen pass. And then we've got a couple of blockers out there. Um, He scored twice on it already this season and had another really big play with it. So I'm sure um, that's a play that they like to run a lot. You may see that or some variation of that play. But no, he's been really good catching the ball and getting upfield on those screen passes. So that's why I'm so curious to see how Venables attacks this defense. Does he go crazy with the blitzes? Because we all know Venables can scheme up some really exotic blitzes, corner blitzes, nickel blitzes, safety blitzes, double A gap blitzes, just everywhere. Or, you know, does he have everybody kind of drop back? Does he drop eight into coverage? Because really that's where we see Quinn struggle the most is when everybody's in coverage and they're not a lot of passing lanes. So it's a fascinating well, uh, matchup for the game. I, you know, when, when teams have gone wide on us, like, um, you know, the quick pass game out to the, out to the flats and stuff like that. Yeah. Oklahoma's defended those really, really well with linebackers and, and uh, secondary. So for me that, you know, like we talked about the Xavier worthy play in 2021, quick, quick hitch out to the, to a, he beats one guy and it's a touchdown. Those don't frighten me nearly as much as they used to. Like we seem to be a lot more sound um, 
fundamentally and in our uh, protections. However, it's I worry about us being a little too aggressive, especially in a Texas game, getting fired up and amped up, and then being able to drop it off to who's clearly the best runner in the game, in this game. And that's that to me is, I, I could see Sark using our aggression to his advantage. Absolutely. That's why I'm so fascinated to see what Venable's game plan is going to be from a defensive standpoint, right? Because I think Venable's may be at its best when he's aggressive, when he's got linebackers coming from all directions. He got safeties coming, corners coming. You know, it just gives a lot to think about. But again, it's Sark, right? So it's just a chess match between those two. Okay. If we flip the script and take a look at Oklahoma's running backs and Texas linebackers, we've talked about quarterbacks and wide receivers and uh, both teams. And then we talked about running backs and linebackers for Texas and Oklahoma, respectively. This is the one area that I feel like Oklahoma is in a big deficit. Everything else has been like, oh man, this matchup's great. Oh, this matchup's good on good. Oh, this matchup could go either way. Or, oh, this matchup, you know, maybe a slight lean one way, a slight lean the other. We're not good. Our best running back is Tommy Walker, 38 carries, 193 yards, 5.1 yards a carry, two touchdowns. Marcus Major, 51 for 199, 39, uh, or I'm sorry, 3.9 with two touchdowns. Our leading rusher in touchdowns is uh, Dylan Gabriel, uh, I believe, with four. Y'all allowed 473 total yards, 94.6 yards a game. The longest you allowed was 62 yards. You've only allowed two touchdowns. Jalen Ford has 32 tackles and two interceptions. David Benda? Benda, Benda, Benda. yeah. Just Benda. Benda, 25, 25 tackles and one and a half sacks. I feel like if there's an area for Texas to exploit, this is that area. I agree, man. And I, it's funny because we talked about the receiver position for OU potentially being a weakness, and we thought the running game would be a huge strength. And we talked to the guys we talked about, right, were Javante Barnes and Gavin Sancho. And we've kind of seen them buried a little bit on the depth chart. They haven't got as many carries. I know Sancho, I believe, has been banged up, right? But so far, they haven't been as effective, nearly as effective as we expected them to be with 28 carries for 128 yards, 4.4 a pop for Barnes, and then uh, Sacha was 17 for 49, 2.7 yards a pop and a touchdown. So, yeah, it's been a little bit confusing. I just expected this running game to be a bit more dominant this year. So what do you think is the reason for that? Well, first of all, I I have to think that with Javante Barnes and Sacha, it has to be injuries. Um, I can't imagine what I saw in the – Cheese at Bowl last year was an aberration. You know, Florida State was returning all their players, and our guys ran all over them, and they looked really, really good doing it. And so to think that they forgot how to run just doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. with those two, I feel like it has to be injury. So that gives you, you know, a very experienced player in Marcus Major. This podcast has talked a lot about Marcus Major over the last two years. He's he's turning into a serviceable back, right? He's serviceable. Uh, seems to pick up the blitz well. He's a physical runner. But at the same time, 3.9 yards per carry is nothing to get too fired up about, right? Talwin yeah. Walker, he's a walk-on. He looks really good. He's clearly our best back. 
but he's a walk-on. And it just, yeah. it's hard for me to like wrap my brain around that. And I think it's hard for a lot of Sooner fans to wrap their brains around it. So I think when you ask what could be wrong with it, a little bit could be personnel. We're going to talk about the offensive line, but I think a lot of it's scheme. I just, I don't feel like Levy commits himself. And, and I really don't know the difference between the two, but there's the zone run and then the gap run. And one works better, one works the worst. I'm not even going to pretend to guess which one is better. However, whatever one he doesn't want to commit to, and therefore we don't get a lot of running yards out of it. But yeah. to me, the biggest deal is yards after contact. Even when we get hit, our guys aren't making plays. They're not breaking tackles. And so you can say a lot, but I, I really, at the end, after five games, to me it's a personnel issue. Tommy Walker, Marcus Major, and then maybe a little bit of scheme. And so yeah. it's frustrating, it's concerning, and here's the deal. Uh, um, we have to remember, too, you guys did lose two tackles last year that were really good, right? You lost a guy who was picked in the first round in the offensive line, and you had another one who you lost to the NFL, Wanya Morris and um, Anton Harrison. So you lose two really good offensive linemen to the NFL that is going to affect you're running. Agreed. Agreed. But, Kevin, I think at the University of Oklahoma, you expect to do better than four yards per carry and only yeah. have 700, only have 788 yards through five games. Um, I, I didn't do the calculation on that. What is that per game? 788 divided by five. I mean, that's only 157 yards a game. That's only yeah. 50, 157 yards per game. I mean, that's just. You don't expect that at Oklahoma. Now, we talked about this with, like, a big run that was taken away from Tommy Walker against Iowa State with a phantom holding call. That's fine. We maybe have had one or two of those, but that's not it. It's not, you know, it's it's just not executing not and not performing. And so, you know, and this, as it relates to – go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. But, you know, th- this offense is really based on how well you can run the ball. That's what gets – the linebackers, the safeties to start creeping up, and that's when you can hit those deep shots, the slot fade that Baylor made famous under our brows. It's just such a huge play, and it, you know, it, it led to Bay- Baylor's resurgence. RG three winning the Heisman Trophy, just you know, the inside run setting up the play action with those deep shots. So you've been able to hit the deep well, shots now, right? But I'm concerned. I, you know, if I was an OU fan, I would be concerned that if the Texas doesn't have to respect the run. They can really drop back and, you know, it won't be a lot of space there in the passing game. Strong agreement. And I think what I was going to say, but it's backed up by what you just said. So I'm glad you, I'm glad you cut me off is uh, it means that despite our lack of success, Levy has to stay committed to running the ball against Texas. You know, and we talked and about that, this in our recap of the last game, right? You did have 41 rush attempts against yes. Iowa State. So he stuck with it, even though it wasn't effective. You know, he just kept doing it and kept doing it. And I think, you know, you just keep running, and eventually guys are going to start creeping up. And that's when the play action works. You get those deep shots. So I'm curious to see again I think how gonna, Levy commits to the run. Can he do it the whole game? We've seen him then, last quick, year jump off from the run, jump off of it, and the results weren't yes. great when he did that. 
Real, real quick on your linebackers, uh, Jalen Ford, best, best defensive player on your team. Yes. Well, he, yeah, we've got some other guys who we'll get to, but yeah, yeah. I mean, he's really good. First team on Big Twelve. Honestly, I thought he should have won Defensive Player of the Year in the conference last year. But he's off to a great start. And what's so great about him is how he makes plays in the passing game, dropping back into coverage. He seems to do it at big times. He's had multiple red zone interceptions. Multiple. Um, Stutzman and Ford might be first team All-American linebackers, and they still won't win Defensive Player of the Year for the Big 12. I'm just telling you that right now. <laughs> just don't it's hold pretty crazy. Hey, listen, and I got to give you credit, right? Your Your bold prediction before the season was – Danny Stutzman being a first team All American, right? We still have he's right there, left, but he, he's there. He's there. He's been as good as any linebacker in the country this year. We talked about it with Teddy, though. We have to win games, right? Uh, accolades come to individuals who are on teams that win games. So this is the type of game where Stutzman might even get outplayed by Jalen, or yeah, by Jalen Ford. But if Oklahoma wins, the story will be how well Stutzman plays. If Oklahoma yeah. loses, it'll be how poorly Stutzman played and how well Ford played, right? Regardless of what the stats even say. So yeah. the, it's about it, – it, it, you know, that's – this game is more about winning than it, – it sounds weird to say, but the winner writes the narrative in this game, and they get to talk about how good their players were. Even when they weren't as good as the players on the other side of the uh, of field, it doesn't matter. you got to win. And for those awards to come, it's, we got to have a win on Saturday. All right. Last segment, and we appreciate those for sticking with us so long. We know this is a very dense episode, but we felt like we needed to get this out there that, uh, you know, there are numbers behind some of this stuff. Um, Oklahoma and Texas in the trenches. Uh, starting with Oklahoma, offensive line, Walter Rouse, Savion Bird, Andrew Rain, McCain Matoir, Tyler Guyton. Year to date through five games has only allowed four sacks. We've talked about the issues in the um, run game. They haven't been good going up against a defensive line. Sweat, Murphy, Sorrell, Hill Jr., Broughton, Finley, eight and a half sacks total from the defensive line. Um. You've seen five games between these two, or five games with these each of these two units. Who gets the advantage on the O line or the D line? Um, if I'm being honest here, I think this is the biggest matchup in the entire game, the biggest mismatch in the entire game. I think this Texas. You think it's a bigger line, mismatch than the linebackers versus the running backs? Yeah, I, yeah, I love this defensive line, man. I, I think do they are big, they are strong, they are quick. It, they're hard to run on, and they are hard. They can get penetration from an interior pass rush. Byron Murphy has been unreal this year, and so has Devondre Sweat. The question for Texas going into the season was who was going to get pressure. Were they going to be able to get pressure? Well, Anthony Hill comes in as a true freshman who was a linebacker who played. He didn't play as an edge player in high school, but he showed that he had that pass rush ability during camp. And they're using him similar to the way that LSU used Harold Perkins, their All-American linebacker, who was also a true freshman last year. They said, you know, we can get this guy on the edge, let him get upfield and make plays. And that's what Anthony Hill has done so far, two sacks against Alabama. 
down there in Tuscaloosa. Ethan Burke has also come on. Um, Redshirt Fred, or he's a sophomore actually, out of Austin, and he's had a great start to the season. So yeah, man, I really love this defensive line. I think they're the most dominant position for Texas, even more so than the wide receivers. Um, I think you're right, and I think the best evidence of that argument is your win at Bama. You don't beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa without a dominant defensive line. It just, it doesn't happen uh, because Saban will figure out how to run the ball. He'll figure out how to scheme against it. He'll, he'll do whatever it takes to, to, to use their size and physicality advantage. He was not able to do that this year in Tuscaloosa. And I don't know that this is the biggest mismatch because I will say this beating Bo, beating Bo's offensive lines improve every single game and they tend to peak when we play Texas in October in the Cotton Bowl. That yeah, I know it sounds weird. I know that sounds like a Homer thing to say, but it's a very real situation. They get better every single game. And I feel like the best game they have all year is the one against Texas. So right now with what I've seen agreed, Texas has the advantage in the trenches on the defensive line versus Oklahoma's offensive line. However, I'm not willing to just outright write off Oklahoma's offensive line. I still trust that Beanbow is going to have these guys in a position to compete. It's just going to be a matter of how well they compete. This is the, this is the matchup though. This is the matchup. If Oklahoma can hold these guys off and give Gabriel time to get it to those receivers if he can, if this line can hold up and give the running backs some holes to at least keep Texas honest in the pass rush game, this is absolutely the matchup in terms of if Oklahoma's offense is going to score points against Texas. Yeah, so correct. I if, agree with you there. 100%. If OU can't block these guys, if they can't protect, if they can't open up some holes in the running game, honestly, I think it could be a long night for the OU offense. We'll see what happens. Again, I have the most confidence in this position more than anyone, at least in this okay. particular matchup. Uh, and I, I actually like OU's offensive line. I think they're I think they're fine. Like this, I just that's how much I believe in this defensive line for Texas. Uh, Texas's offensive line. I'm not going to go through all the players. You can real quick if you know them. Um, allowed nine sacks though. Oklahoma's offensive line has allowed four sacks. Texas's offensive line has allowed nine sacks. What is your evaluation of Texas's offensive line through five games? No, I'm 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 good with the offensive line. I'm really good with that. You know, even again, with even with the sa- even with the sack, real quick, even with the sack numbers. Yeah, you have to you have to look at who we played so far, right? Um, obviously, we play Alabama. They've got great guys on defense. They've got great edge players. Okay, now again, I don't think any of those sacks came against Alabama. Um, I like how we've been run blocking inside. We've got some young guys who are really coming on. Kelvin Banks, that left tackle, I think he's one of the best in the country. I think he's a future first-round pick. Christian Jones at the other tackle is really good, too. He's a fifth-year senior. You know, inside, we've got some young guys that are still developing. And I think in those first few games, we saw a couple of busts from those guys. But I think they're getting better. DJ Campbell is a former five-star. He's going to be playing right guard. Um, 
he's a mauler in the run game, still developing, though, when it comes to his uh, his feet and pass protection, right? Jake Majors at the center. He's a fourth-year player. Um, he, he's a good player. He's a little up and down. Honestly, he's gets some penalties, but I think he had one of the best games of his career last week against Kansas, who surprisingly has a pretty good defensive line. They got some guys who can really get after the passer. I'm interested to see when they play you guys later how they how they do because they got some edge guys this year that kind of edge guys that they just hadn't had before. They hit the portal really hard. But anyway, yeah, I really like our offensive line, and I'm looking forward to seeing how they um, can protect against that OU defensive line. So uh, Oklahoma, five total sacks from our defensive line. That's been probably the biggest complaint over this much improved defense is the ability to pressure the quarterback. We're starting to see a lot more activity out of PJ out of bar out of Barre, although he's changed the way he's pronounced his name, right? Oh, I didn't, I didn't hear about that. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, we're going to go with PJ out but forgive me if that's not hundred percent correct. I think we're going to see a lot of him. I think, uh, I think we've, I think he's going to be unleashed against Texas. I think he's going to see a lot of it, a lot of time on the field, and we're going to count on him to be really disruptive. Ethan Downs has been productive. Um, I still don't know that I'm in love with Ethan Downs as much as I was last year coming into the season where he was really, really hyped up, but he's been really, really solid. Marcus Stripling's got a sack. Uh, Bothroyd, Bothroyd is the transfer from Wake Forest. We expected a lot out of him. He's been okay, but he hasn't been as dominant, I think, as at least I expected, and I think a lot of others expected. Um, this defensive line is very much a workman's defensive line. It does not have the names outside of Adabari and maybe Ethan Downs that, D, that the Texas D-line has. Um, but I think they can get the job done. I think with as good as our secondary plays and as good as our linebackers are, the defensive line just has to do their job. They don't have to do a lot extra. They don't have to be counted on to carry the defense. If they do their job, we will have an effective defense on Saturday. And here's the thing. I agree with you that the biggest mismatch might be the O-line, D-line, at least based on what we've seen. Oklahoma's O-line, Texas D-line. Statistically, though, as I think about recapping this entire thing i'm still i'm struck by the difference in numbers between gabriel and quinn yours like as i recap all of this and i look back at everything we've talked about dylan gabriel is significantly more efficient than quinn yours he's more efficient he's more productive he's more accurate and he just has more uh whatever the right word is there's he's he's just so far through five games, he's better than Quinn Ewers. And I don't think that can be overstated in a matchup in a Cotton Bowl. The better That's quarterback true. wins – the better quarterback often wins this matchup. And so, That's I don't true, know. I just I, want to I have to take, back. In, I want to I have to take back into that. account who you guys have played, though, compared to who Texas has played. Okay, but look, dude, I have, we've talked about this with Quinn. His best game came against Alabama. His second best game was against – Kansas or Baylor. His two oh, worst yeah, games were against Rice. His two worst games were Rice and um and Wyoming. So when you say, so well, I gotta thing, take into account how he played, 
How come he's not patting his stats against Wyoming and Rice? No how, idea. How come man. he's not able to All get? All I know is to get to that. The bigger the game, the the better he plays is what I've seen from him so far throughout his career. Well, I don't know that that's. So, and I don't I know that I have an argument. Yeah, I don't know have I don't know that I have an argument for that. But the potential for him not to play well, I think, is higher than the potential for Dylan Gabriel to not play well. See, I think the statistics. If you look at Dylan Gabriel's stats over his career, though, his his he's been worse against better teams, whereas Quinn has been better against better teams. And I'm curious to yes, see how but, Dylan Gabriel handles this environment. Because we've seen what this environment can do to players, especially your first time in it. We've seen guys. I mean, we saw Kyler. We talked about him, right? He turned into Superman in the fourth quarter. We had two. The interception he threw was very uncharacteristic of him. Guys scrambling and fumbles the ball, right? We've seen Uh, guys just come into this. Vince Young's first performance, he fumbles. He has running back 99 yards for a touchdown. We've seen great players come into this atmosphere for the first time, and it just does something to him. Baker Mayfield really struggled in that first game. This is a Baker Mayfield who would take y'all to the college football playoff. I no, I agree. I agree. I just, I don't know. For whatever reason, and maybe I, well, for whatever reason, the numbers make me feel better, right? Yeah. The, the performance and the productivity had me almost convinced that I'm taking Dylan Gabriel over Quinn Ewers and feeling pretty good about it. Hey, listen, I'm not I'll be it. I will give guys. you the fact. No, but I mean, I'll give you the fact that Quinn's, uh, he, he is, look, we always get to, we always get to come back to he beat Bama and Bama. He demonstrated he's got a big time game when he, when he steps up. He's also demonstrated he can lay some eggs. The eggs are becoming less and less frequent though. And so, yeah, either way, I think this Matt, I think when we go statistically through it, Statistically, matchup OU slight edge on quarterback, really similar or slight edge on receiver, just from statistics. Uh, huge edge for Texas in the running game, huge edge for Texas defensively in the running game, both so both offensively and defensively. And then when we look at the offensive and defensive line, I think we have to say edge to Texas in the trenches. You agree with all you agree with that? Uh, or do you still yeah, maybe yeah. not agree with the receivers? I think our receivers are, are, you know, quite a bit better than yours, honestly. I know the stat you guys have the stats, but, I mean, if we're picking receivers, right, if we're drafting receivers, right, like who would you rather have? I think I would take our top three or four guys before I would take any of the OU receivers. Uh, let's timestamp this 102 and 44 seconds on episode 75 because I I think that you're going to rethink that and maybe put Nick Anderson higher up in your draft order after Saturday. I don't know if we're going to win or lose. I'm not. Yeah. I, I I haven't picked a score yet or anything like that, but I think you're going to see a superstar emerge. A superstar emerges for Oklahoma. That is the history of this rivalry. It's the history of this game. This game brings out the stars. It brings out the stars, especially for Oklahoma. Maybe even more so than Texas. Kevin, maybe even more so than Texas. It brings out stars. And I think this is an opportunity for a guy like Nick Anderson, who is a touchdown waiting to happen, big, physical, fast, wide receiver, who's been waiting to display his – his athletic prowess, 
this could be his game. And I've got it marked right here that you said he sucks. At 102.45, you said Nick Anderson was terrible. You said Nick Anderson was terrible. You already know how I felt about Rodney Anderson. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. You should be. Hey, it's hate week, bro. I mean, you know what it is. I am. Listen, you know know how I like Rodney Anderson. Shout out to Rodney Anderson. He was a dynamic player. Look, you're not going to get me to say a bad thing about Nick Anderson. I'm just showing up for my guys. Dude, you got to – dude, listen. um, This has been great. This has been awesome. You are, and I'm not just saying this. I, I'm always impressed with how you break down a game, because you you break down the you can take the statistical and add it to the intangible and put it in a context that it's really easy to understand. And you you've been that way since I've known you, and it's been whatever sport it is, and not just Texas football, but just listening to the way you broke this down, really impressive, dude. I loved it. I loved it so much. I'm so man. glad that we get to do a podcast together. I'm so glad we do a podcast together because you you made that really. I think people that are listening to this are going to say, "Oh, that actually makes a lot of sense." So, well done on this episode for the diehard Boomer Beagle podcast fans that want a little more zany, a little more emotion. Dude, there's still three days left. There's going to be plenty. You just buckle up, all right? You buckle up and get ready for it. But for this episode, we had to demonstrate that we sometimes know what the hell we're talking about. And I think we did that, Kevin. Sometimes. I think we did it sometimes. darn well. What do you think? Yeah, I, I would agree with especially that. Especially this week. This week we did. I feel really good about it. Kevin, have a great evening. Boomer. Okay.